see a movie I'll be alone talking with Greg and Denny babe won't you see Matthew and Molly I'll be watching them doing 80s teen things don't you forget about me bow don't 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 you wonder when to watch these movies with John, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. <laughs> Denny, that's on DuckTales. Um, <laughs> Wait, were we not supposed to watch Legend of were, the Lamp this were week? Were we not supposed to watch DuckTales? <laughs> um, good news, everyone. Um, the episode was supposed to come out 12 hours ago, and we're about to start recording now. <laughs> so, Woo! Yeah, we'll, we'll catch everyone up. <laughs> Thanks to Denny's internet. Um, this is, I've got a lot of stuff to do tonight, so this is also going to be a quick recording and a short episode. So you're welcome, We always everyone. say that shit. But I need yeah, to give a shout out to a, a very friendly man named Jose who worked at Spectrum, who came to my house at like 9 o'clock at night uh, and fixed my Wi-Fi and gave me a whole new router. He's got three kids. Uh, two of them are adults. One's a teenager. And Christmas is expensive, and, you know, they all want different things. And we talked, and he was a great guy, and now I have Wi-Fi again. So this episode is brought to you by friend of the show, Jose from Spectrum. My man. Not sponsoring the show, Spectrum. Um, you know but... what? He told me Spectrum to... Uh, I, never mind. <laughs> yeah. <let's... laughs> I don't want to get Jose don't. in any trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but Jose you know said what? great things about the company. Yeah. And then um, he said he'd work there forever, and everything is good. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jose. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll dive into it, but quick bit of housekeeping first. Um, sort of an announcement, I guess, we'll get out of the way first. Uh, we have two Christmas episodes coming up. Woo! And then after that will be the last episode of the year... And that is going to be the first annual Granny Awards. Yeah! I named it because it's a perfect name. <laughs> um, oh, listen. I just got it. Yeah? I'm kidding. You just got <laughs> what Granny was? <laughs> Boy, are you dumb. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's our year-end roundup of all the episodes, all the movies we've watched. Uh, we're going to have audience participation with submissions. Uh, we're going to have 15 categories that'll be announced later. And then, uh, Denny and I will induct one movie each into the movies for when hall of fame. Yeah. Um, expect to hear my argument for country bears. Um, 
<laughs> I'd kind of be upset if you didn't at this point. Well, you know. I already uh, know my pick. De- details to come. Um, I'll sense I'll have something maybe like a Google form where people can like make submissions and that kind of thing. Um, as well as like a list of all the movies we covered because we covered a lot of them. That's, that's like a whole bunch. Yep. 70 something. And so here's the real question. When we do that award show next year, are all the movies from this year off the table for Hall of Fame? Or can you induct any movie you want once a year into the Hall of Fame that we cover? I think it's... I'm going to say any... A long time before we have to worry about it. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and say anything's on the table. But I think we're going to have so many movies in year two or whatever that we're probably going to forget. I I already know my pick. Sense. Okay. I know my pick, man. Well, we'll save it for the award ceremony. I'm not going to um, say it. I'm just saying it's we watched better movies this year, but I don't know that there's one more deserving of the movies for win Hall of Fame. All right. Uh get your speech prep for Night Screams. This week we're going to be <laughs> discussing uh this is the audience selection. You guys, you audience, you picked the topic. Good job. Great pick. Great topic. Um Movies for when you have the John Hughes blues. Um, I just want the world to know we need to thank the audience because I just couldn't resist the troll within me. And if we, if the second runner-up, which was a photo finish, one vote separated this from happening. Mm-hmm. If we did movies for when a child actor glows up, I was absolutely going to pick a Spencer Breslin movie. <laughs> <laughs> I I would have been, you know, okay with it. I would respect the move. Um, but um, just like the geeks and the nerds in these three movies, John Hughes won in the end. So we're going to be talking about 1984's 16 Candles, 1985's The Breakfast Club, and 1986's Ferris Bueller's Man, Day Off. What, what a good... three-year streak for that guy. Not bad. Just churning them out. Making, Hot damn. Hits, hits classics. Hot diggity damn. Era man. defining films from the guy, John Hughes. Uh, we're going to start with 16 Candles. This, I think, was my pick. I couldn't pick which one I wanted, so I just told my fiance to pick for me. So she also had the third pick. She was a big fan of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 16 Candles. Um,. We're going to go chronologically here. Uh, The plot of Sixteen Candles. Molly Ringwald plays a high school sophomore that likes a boy and accidentally passes a note that he intercepts that says she wants to sleep with him. And this senior decides to pursue her weirdly and relentlessly despite having a very popular girlfriend. Um, She wakes up on the day that the movie takes place and realizes her family has forgotten her 16th birthday 16th birthday 16 candles you get it mm-hmm. um yeah every everyone in the family forgets she goes to school she's upset she's a teen her sister is getting married tomorrow that's why everyone's preoccupied she gets home from school and grandparents are staying in her bed and everything the with whole no family's pants here on. with no pants on grandpa come on uh yeah nice little coming of age tale takes uh takes place over the span of what just like a couple days 
yeah. um, in Molly Ringwald's life. I forgot the character's name. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Sam. Is... Her name is Sam. Sam. Pursued by the geeky kid. But what? Molly Ringwald is just always Molly Ringwald. Yeah, like, and we love her for it. Is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... This is... I've said before that I haven't seen... If it's an 80s classic, I haven't seen it. But I've actually got two in this episode oh. that I have seen. So I have seen this movie already, but it's been a long time. I think I watched it maybe in high school or like soon after. What about you? Yeah, so my relationship with these movies is the, the same for every single movie. And so I was going to try to guess yours and say you've seen none oh. of them. Um, but, but no, I was like... Um, we can even cut some of my long-winded uh, backstory anecdotes about movies uh, for this episode because for all three of the, these movies, it's exactly the same thing. Um, there was a multi-year span in my life when I only wanted to watch dramedies and 80s coming-of-age movies. And I just watched the fuck out of John Hughes's work in that time and... All three of these movies are just when I want comfort, when I want to feel good, when I'm just like, I want something substantial enough that I can feel something. You know, like, it's when I'm feeling kind of emotional, usually really sad. I want to feel something when I watch it. I want there to be some backbone, but I want it to be a pretty simple, low-stakes movie, all things considered. And that's what I love about these 80s coming-of-age movies, is mm -hmm. that... It was such a starry-eyed time in American pop culture um, that you could make a serious drama about not having a date to prom. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, like, that, that, that's, that's really the, the highest stakes on the line in any of these movies. But they, they have the emotional content. And so mm -hmm. I, uh, I own all these movies on DVD. Um, other than my only unique history with 16 candles is that uh i almost watched pretty in pink by accident instead <laughs> because they are the same movie <laughs> that's that one i haven't seen so it's... i i wonder how long we could have gone on before i realized you watched a different movie <laughs> now that would have been an interesting social experiment um ah. i will say pretty in pink social experiment bro less rapey and less racist so i'm gonna give pretty in pink the nod i think yeah i was gonna say i think we would have gotten through it uh it wouldn't have taken long if pretty in pink was devoid of racism and <laughs> i don't want to say it's devoid of it because it is the 80s and I'd, i'll say that's culture i don't remember any particularly <laughs> egregious racism but i would not be surprised if i were to watch it again and be like oh this is racist as fuck so what do i know <laughs> yeah, probably so yeah i'm just a white dude who loves coming of age movies <laughs> well oh yeah you are um yeah, where where to where to start here? Do you want to start um, by tackling the racism? I was gonna say I commend them because I thought it was really brave to make such a rape positive movie. It's not a popular take, and this movie portrays rape in a very positive light. And I think that yeah. I, okay, I can't do the bit anymore. Yeah, so whimsical, man. <laughs> there is like sexual assault is like it's just so chill. Like, Dude. <laughs> like the, the, our, our, our don't take that out of context please our hunky bow is like literally says like what you want proof that i don't just want sex from molly ringwald 
I'll go rape this girl right now to prove I could have sex. He's like leveraging, like he's like, she's unconscious in her bed. I could do anything I want with her. I don't have to do it for sex. And it's like, guys, come take a picture of it. <laughs> God, out of control. Yeah. Out of control. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else to say other than what the fuck. Yeah, like, I think I think I saw this. I think I was eighteen when I saw this, and even then, I was I was like, you know, like this is not subtle. And that was like two thousand nine before we. <laughs> never mind. You know what I'm saying? Like it it was it was less of a hot button issue, or like it's not at the forefront of your attention like it is nowadays. And even even what twelve years ago, I was like, there's way too much like that's uncomfortable about the relationships and like the manipulation of yeah. women in this movie. Yeah. Um, hard, hard, hard watch. Something I never want to do is be like, it was a different time. No, it wasn't okay. Then people just mm -hmm. accepted it. Regardless, this, this may shock some of you, but two straight white men had enough privilege to not frequently notice problematic things in movies we grew up on. This may is. shock some of you, um, but this stuff didn't jump out to us because of our own privilege. But Greg is saying, man, even with all that shit going for me, no, it jumps. <laughs> you can tell. No, dude, I remember like, I think the first time I saw this movie was probably like 2013, I think. Um, so pretty late in the game, actually. And I just remember even then, uh, I was 23 and uh, very sheltered, uh, but uh, the stuff with Long Duck Dong, man, I was Ooh, like, hoo -hoo. Jesus, guys. Like, Yeah, as, as we transitioned from uh, rape to racism, um, the whole... I Go ahead. I, for I forgot about like the gong noises. I think the Ugh. what I remembered going into this movie a second time, I was like, "All right, let's let's see if all these rapey bits still bother me like they did the first time around," and they did. And then, but this time it was an added thing of like, "Oh man, <laughs> Asians, huh? We Ugh. sure don't like them." <laughs> like the premise of the joke was an Asian, Asian. person exists. There's the yeah. existence of an Asian person. And hilarity ensues, according to Mr. Hughes in this movie. Um, dude, I, like, legitimately am, like... I can't think of a more racist single character that I have ever seen in my life. Can you? Maybe, like, um, one of Jeff Dunham's puppets might be a contender. But, like... <laughs> this is... Yeah. I can't think of a more racist noted movie sympathetic character. <laughs> performer god i hate jeff dunham all right <laughs> so um, fucking much silence denny he'll kill you uh, <laughs> yeah um i had in my notes somewhere like it it's like definitely a terrible racist trope series of tropes that they put him through but like and that's like the big giant overarching statement but like over here in a tiny little corner i'm also thinking at least they made him cool like he's just a badass party animal oh yeah and it's just like he's just like me meets a girl on his first time going out to the school dance after like five minutes yep. he's got some six foot four um girl just infatuated with him he spent this entire movie with a face full of titties and a beer in his hand like 
Say what you want about Long Duck Dong, but the dude liked to party and he didn't give a fuck. (laughs) I guess if there's any... And that's what's crazy, too, is it's like, he has no effect on the plot whatsoever. Like, when when they make uh, Molly Ringwald Sam take him to the dance... You figure there's going to be all of this, like, uh, I have to, I can't believe I had to bring him along. You know, like, nope, they just completely diverge. Um, they literally, like, no plot event depended on this character existing at all. And they were yeah. just like, hold on, we need a side quest where we make fun of an Asian guy. That's, that's <laughs> what we're going to do. It's going to be so funny He's, he's gonna Asian. be all. He's gonna be all Asian. God, Jesus fucking Christ, man. Um, uh, yeah, that's we spent a long duck time on this. Um, that was good. Thanks, man. That was uh, good. <laughs> I guess I guess we'll get into the um, movie itself. Yeah. Um, we've 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 tackled the heavy issues. Let's get into the fun the fun bits. Yeah. Um, John Cusack in a much more enjoyable role. Mm-mm. I still haven't forgiven him for making High Fidelity. I get angry yes. every time he's on a screen now. Well, we'll watch. Uh... Oh shit! I was trying to think of a move, another movie he was in. I was thinking of Richard Gere. Ah, uh, fuck it. We'll do. Oh, we'll do. Right. Uh, we'll do Con Air. But he's also the lamest part of that movie. So who gives a fuck? Yeah, but we got one of the better Nick Cage movies. One of the best. I would go as far one of the as best. To say. Ah, there he is. School buses, were they also lawless territory when you were in school? Um, In the sense that uh, whenever I rode them, I was not actually on the route. I just said, screw it, I'm riding the bus home today. Um, Yes. Hell yeah. Actually, everyone was pretty chill. We just hung out. (laughs) Everyone just had headphones and smashed their foreheads against the window and stared at the road. In my experience, at least. Yeah absolute anarchy here though Mm. Um, oh yeah there's there's kid there's an entire band in the background yeah it's out of control um dude molly ringwald is so fucking cool she's she's so fucking awesome i just love her man i love the shit out of her she's fantastic in these movies and just like literally just a performer that is uh uh what's the word i'm looking for here um it starts with an S, I think. Super. She's super. Synonymous. She's ah. <laughs> synonymous with an entire decade. Yeah, like yeah. Like 80s Molly Ringwald. She fucking mm-hmm. rules, man. I just, I, I needed to get that out of the way. And I loved her in this movie. She she gave a great performance as Sam. Yeah, she's, she's just like this perfect blend of like the nerdy kind of, not necessarily like reject kid, which is kind of like not as popular, but also like cool and over it at the same time yeah she rocks i like her yep um she was someone that when they were like have you seen her she's so bland and i was like i mean dude she's like a normal well-adjusted person like she's one of the only people she's one of the only people i'd want to be around in this movie you know (laughs) like and she's like a fully fleshed out character other than nerd hot um asian (laughs) (laughs) like ah the three categories (laughs) yeah um there were some there were some hughesisms in this that i'm i'm glad he kind of grew out of or learned to do a little bit better 
such as intercutting popular TV theme songs. Um, I thought the Twilight Zone theme was a little bit too on the nose when Sam's coming home to her grandparents. Um, yeah. <laughs> while we're on the grandparents, I gotta say, of all the rapey stuff I anticipated being in this movie and remembered from this movie sexual assault by grandma caught me off guard i forgot to <laughs> grandma just fucking oh she's gotten her boobies and just like starts squeezing and i'm like that is childhood sexual abuse and at least at least we cut away before oh it actually my god happened. yeah yeah, yeah. um how about Anthony Michael Hall? How about him? How Man, about he's him? he's in a couple of our movies today. Um, yeah, I have a theory that when John Hughes writes a movie, he starts with Anthony Michael Hall wants to bang Molly Ringwald and works backwards mm-hmm. <laughs> until, until he has yeah, a premise. But where are they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who else is there? Who else wants to bang? <laughs> That guy's been getting work um, since then, too. Yeah. Um, good for him. He's, Great guy. How did he break typecasting? You know, like, <laughs> when I when I see him now, I usually, like, for a long time, I would see him in stuff and wouldn't know it was Anthony Michael Hall. Like, uh, the first uh, Community Christmas episode, um, he's he bullies Jeff. He's the bully. Oh. And they even throw a line in there. They have Pierce say, uh, I know your type. You're a nerd who turned into a bully. Which is just, like, <laughs> so great. <laughs> well, now the, the show community just got cooler. Yeah, I probably saw that, like, ten Isn't times before I knew it was Anthony Michael Hall in that. Like, he just yeah looks and acts so incredibly different. And I guess it's because he's not 12 anymore, and most people do. Uh, most people age and change. <laughs> but a lot. What you gonna do, man? Do. What you yeah. gonna do? Um, I've got an interesting topic for discussion from two men watching this, because it occurred to me. Um, who were you rooting for? Hot Stud Muffin or Anthony Michael Hall? Who did you want to get with Molly Ringwald? Uh, no, neither. I was going to say, I was rooting for Molly Ringwald. Yeah. Just to be happy. That's really what I um, wanted to, but I don't know. I get, eh, I don't know. Like, both come off pretty scummy in their own ways. Yeah. One being extremely forward and, um, very insensitive, and the other just really strangely like abandoning their established relationship just because they think a girl has a crush on them yeah and then she's two years younger than you which i'm the biggest hypocrite ever there yep but you know (laughs) whatever (laughs) yeah um my wife's the same age as me so i can say something Um, (laughs) but um I, it just occurred to me that, like, I was, like... I mean, I didn't like Anthony Michael Hall's character at all and didn't think he had done anything to deserve a relationship. Um, I, I would agree with you that I was rooting for Molly Ringwald to be happy, but I was also watching it, and I was like, oh, well... Again, I'd be lying if I said that uh, 
my game in high school didn't uh, resemble Anthony Michael Hall's without all the forcing yourself on people. But uh, mm-hmm. his 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 moves, his his strategy, and his style were. Uh, no, I'd be lying if I said it didn't remind me of myself at times. And uh, it, yeah, I see that it was just an interesting perspective moment for me because he was who I identified with most. Um, and I and then like you see Molly Ringwald wanting her hunky boy. Um, just this very nothing character and i was like oh because this isn't really for me (laughs) you know like this is Mm -hmm. this is for women and that's that's her chasing a manny pixie dream manny manic pixie dream girl um and it just kind of occurred to me i was like oh i'm so used to having movies cater to my perspective this must be what women feel most of the time (laughs) Mm -hmm. like um i don't know it was just an interesting perspective moment for me yeah as uh more formed adults i'm glad we can arrive at these conclusions yeah yay uh i have a theory lay it on me i love theories um i don't know why but i think the house that they have the house party in Mm -hmm. is the the same house that they party in in the movie Night Screams. <laughs> it's super similar. I don't know, and man. I know it's not because they don't have like that big, like, uh, kind of spiraling staircase. That I was they literally going to say, I cannot stop showing in Night Screams. I spent but... so much time with that staircase, I'd recognize it anywhere. <laughs> like, I didn't I see the staircase. But, like, different rooms looked like it, and then we, like, get the weights crashing through the floor, and there's, like, a wine cellar. Oh, shit. And I was just like, these, all these rooms, I swear the piano's in the same place, too. Like, I'm not yeah. gonna watch Night Screams again to, like, prove this, but... <laughs> <sighs> I got, I got the same vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't think of that, but I can validate it and, uh, say, you know what? Maybe in the 80s, just everybody had a wine cellar, a piano, and a hot tub. You know? What you gonna do about that? This is how you know that, like, society's in the toilet, because I have none of those things. Yeah. (sighs) Sucks, man. I don't even have a toilet. That's how much society's in the toilet. Wait, what? (laughs) I've been pooping in the yard and burying it. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, you know... Usually John Hughes's movies for all of their like uh yuppie apologetics that are in them essentially um they usually have a lot of heart to them. This one had a lot less than I'm used to. Yeah. It was kind of cynical. Yeah, this one felt I feel like it doesn't feel like it has a lot of heart because it feels like a not quite like pulp fiction, but a series of vignettes, you know? Sure. Like, Things aren't necessarily super related. We're just kind of going from setting to setting, and there's no, like, emotional, like, overarching thing that's, like, connecting everything. Yeah. And, yeah, in the end, everyone sucks. Everyone's going to be sexually assaulting somebody. Yeah. And, yeah. Cyn- cynical is a good word for it. It, it just seems kind of like it's punching down, and it has twice the horniness of any other john hughes movie with half the heart and it just 
it just seemed really horny and jaded the whole yeah. movie through um it, it doesn't have the I, I don't think it's a bad movie but it doesn't have the place in my heart that uh, a lot of movies like this do however i will say those final moments brought it back up for me quite a bit i was ready to drop the score on this one and uh you know all the cars moving out of the way she comes out of the chapel in her bridesmaid dress and then there's the boy she has a crush on and he gets her a cake with 16 candles on it and they sit on a table in the dark and uh that brought me back up i was like god damn that's a good sentimental ending yeah that's a happy ending like, right there she looks at her dad and she's like that's the boy dude and he's like all right pretty cool we finally yeah. got a good dad in a movie on this podcast yeah yeah i mean my, i'm i'm sure there were more but you know not overtly good i think we had some some passable dads but we didn't have anyone that had like a what a fantastic father moment that i can remember and uh man that scene the the best scene in the movie for me is when molly ringwald is sitting on the couch and her dad comes in and they really earn it with like he first of all finally notices her you know like um and he apologizes hey we forgot your birthday i just wanted to yeah. let you know we did remember we, and i'm sorry we know we fucked up yeah. yeah and then there's that uh that really great fake out with the like but you look sad i think i know what this is about um <laughs> And she's she just like falls into his arms, puts his he puts her head on his shoulder, and is having like a real daddy daughter moment. You know, like doesn't seem like it's the kind of thing mm -hmm. they've had for a while, based on what we've seen for the rest of the movie. And he's like, "You're upset that your sister's marrying a lame guy," um, and she's just like, <laughs> "No!" It was like such a great fake out because it's genuine before and after, you know. And he, and he has some mm -hmm. like he has some really empathetic. Like he never gives her like a. It's just a boy. You'll get over it. Like, he really connects of, like, hey, I can see what a big deal this is to you. And it, it, and it seems very sincere. And um, and then at the very end, he has that really great line with her where he's like, well, I don't think I'll be able to sleep at all tonight if I don't feel like this conversation has helped you. So could you lie to me? <laughs> you know, like, that was <laughs> such a great line. Um I loved that scene, man. It really kind of yeah. anchored the movie in something meaningful and gave us uh, really good performances from both actors and just great writing of that scene. It was it was quality, man. I loved it a lot. I think I do really like that scene, the way everything plays out, the way you just described it. I really liked it. I think it maybe felt a little less earned to me just because, like, we've, we've kind of established the parents as like they forgot the birthday this is just yeah. kind of how they are yeah. and he's just like comes out of nowhere with kind of a big emotional um spiel with her but i think it plays out very well and it does establish his love for her as the movie goes on yeah and like i said like that's the boy and he's like ah, all right and like ah cool supportive dad yeah i feel that now from him they earned it later well, I, I think it added some context um, to, to what mm -hmm. we've been seeing the whole movie. Because, like, the whole movie, the family's not necessarily toxic. They're just insanely busy. 
and it's just constant chaos in the house and it doesn't seem like it's just because of uh the wedding like it just seems like that's kind of their mo like you got little brother little sister running around causing shit uh sam's being a teenager all, all that stuff and to me that and i can't really prove it i think it just kind of played to me like uh, hey i need to remember what's important you know like it seems like he this would be who he was if he wasn't overwhelmed um yeah because she doesn't say like piss off you don't you know like she she goes to him for support um and it just seems like they have a kind of relationship where it's not like he is an absentee business dad you know like he's definitely mm -hmm. probably a little emotionally constipated but he's also like mom didn't come downstairs to say i'm sorry you know like he came down to take responsibility and say like hey i know we failed you and um, yeah. he didn't even say like we're gonna do better he just said i'm sorry like that's horrible and we wronged you you know like it's it's great man Hmm. ah <sighs> yeah a whole lot of enjoyable scenes uh i feel like they weren't necessarily all super connected very well but yeah. I, I enjoyed it and by by the end of it i was i was um i was more on the side of the movie i was i was having a good time yeah um this is gonna be a rapid fire episode so denny anything else right before we get into gimmicks on this one um you know yeah i love that uh anthony michael hall was just credited as geek yep he had a name yep I don't know what it was because I forgot. Yeah, and but they it's just not, credited. It's him. not credited. <laughs> they, they put as much effort into his name as his uh, as his well roundedness as a character. Um, and uh, the organist at the wedding is the lady from Poltergeist, and that's really cool. The I this yeah. house is clean. Yeah, Zelda Rubenstein. Baby. Yeah, she rules. Um, which is actually a great transition to our gimmicks. Um, our gimmick of the week. Gimmick of the week gimmick of the week is your cure for the john hughes blues what is your cure for these blues well really when when i say the john hughes blues it's what i was talking about earlier of i'm feeling sad but not devastated and i'm just jonesing for something to channel that that sense of longing for a glossier time into um mm -hmm. my cure for those blues is Playing True by Spando Ballet during a school dance scene. I will never not feel something. Uh, it's it's the perfect 80s slow dance song. The, ha, 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 ha. I know this much is true. Greg, what you got? What's your cure for the blues? The John um, Hughes blues. My, my interpretation was more the... Um, and it's just like something that brought me up, made me feel better. John Hughes curing my blues, and that was actually Zelda Rubenstein. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the We're Watching podcast they gave her a lot of love in their Poltergeist episode from a week or two ago. Yeah, two weeks. I she's think. great. She's great in this movie. She's ah, she's fantastic. She needs a drink. She does need she's, a drink. Sits there, plays the organ, sings the lyrics wrong. She's just having having fun. She's she's great. She rocks. Cool man. What's your favorite line? 
My favorite line is from uh, The Older Sister, which is the plot line we didn't talk about too very much. Um, the Older Sister is getting married to a guy who <laughs> kind of sucks, but I think they're pretty funny. Um, she's telling Sam that she's excited to get married because I've had men that loved me before, but not for six months in a row. <laughs> And that's why she's getting married. Yep. Uh, Fantastic. Greg, Greg, Greggy boy, we picked the same favorite line. No way. Yes way. Um, I'll give some runners up. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall saying, you know, a girl with a hat is just so vogue. <laughs> I love that. I thought about that one. Yeah. And that was uh, good. little brother saying, I didn't hit her. I wanted to, and I probably will later. <laughs> you know my method. I don't do it when you're right down the hall. <laughs> Honest. <laughs> it was great. Shout out to uh, fun little brother characters. Woo! Little piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Denny, what's your uh, critic score for 16 candles? I gave it a 37 out of 50. Um, okay. I really kind of wanted to lower it just because I was like, hmm. I'm 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 a pretty big homer for these '80s coming of age flicks, but when I looked at what was lower, I was like, Nah, it it belongs in the upper 30s. It's a it's a movie with plenty of problems. Uh, it's still an all time heavy hitter in the genre, but uh, I think I think there might be at least two better, if you know what I'm saying. If you know what I'm saying, I think I get it. <laughs> what about you, Greg? I might just understand. Um. Yeah, I gave this one a 26 out of 40. Kind of on the lower end, um, I felt like it was just kind of loose with the scenes. Like yeah. I said, like just a series of things that are happening with not a lot of uh, tie-in with everything happening. Yeah, The senior crush guy kind of sucked. Um, too much rapiness. Tad too much racism. But... At the end of the day, I still enjoy watching it. Mm -hmm. It's a fun, it's a fun watch. It's like a glossy look at the eighties. You know, it's, it's like you're saying, like the biggest problem we have for our main character is, uh oh, I have a crush on a boy, and I think he found out. And also, there's like this annoying little nerd that is in love with me. Oh well, and it's like it's pretty low stakes, enjoyable viewing. Um, yeah. Yippity do. Seamless edit, <laughs> seamless edit, everyone. Ah yes, my grandfather, seamless Everett podcast. The seamless Everett podcast <laughs> is brought to you by the Breakfast Club. <laughs> Cure for the his best. <laughs> uh, we're back. Uh, it's The Breakfast Club from 1985. You've heard of it. Maybe you've seen it. Probably. Denny, <laughs> you want to summarize the plot for yes! The Breakfast Club for us, please? I'd love to. Uh, we have five kids from different social cast in their high school cast system um, interacting because they're locked in a room and they have to uh, for Saturday detention. 
We get to know these kids better because John Bender just won't shut the fuck up and stop fucking with people. Um, and he's literally the whole reason anything happens in this movie. Talk about a catalyst. Uh, it would have been a very quiet it. day in detention without his character. And I I love movies like that. And I'll get into why. Um, so, yeah. Uh, they're just uh, learning about each other. They go back and forth between hating each other and relating to each other. And there's this cool theme throughout the movie where every time they interact with somebody a little bit different than them, a good thing happens for them. They have a common enemy to unite around against, and they all have shitty parents to unite against. And eventually they just do a bunch of drugs and uh, tell the teacher to go fuck himself. And a couple people kiss, and then they go on about their lives, knowing that this probably won't change very much at all, but it was a very special day. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well summaried. Thank you. What's your relationship with the movie, Greg? Never seen it. This is the one I haven't seen. So all I right. saw it for the first time the other day. Um, my fiance, she picked this one as like the third movie. She said, we have to do this for John Hughes. Yeah. Watched it together. Had a great time. Good stuff, man. This yeah. is a good movie. No, I mean, this is the like definitive John Hughes contribution to film. Like, mm -hmm. it's it's the John Hughes movie. We couldn't not do Breakfast Club. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. Um, I've always loved this movie. I loved it actually more than ever this watch through. Um, I, I saw some stuff that I really liked that I hadn't paid attention to before. Um, and yeah, what I love about this movie is just like, in theory, right, in the theory of any movie or TV show, these characters' lives are going on infinitely in either direction, right? And most of their lives aren't really worth talking about, but the movie starts where something interesting happened. A story worth telling um, starts unfolding, and I don't know. I just like the idea that Saturday Detention happens all the time. It's usually boring as fuck, but because mm -hmm. John Bender was there raising hell, this was a special one. Um, that this was one worth talking about when theoretically this happens every single week and it's very unremarkable, but today was a special day and I don't know. I just love that idea. Um, it's a bottle episode as they say in community. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Greg, what are your, what are your first impressions? Uh, my first impressions, I, I didn't know that this was just going to be over the course of one day. I thought ah. they would like, yeah, it's like a club. You yeah, know, it's in it's in the title. I thought they were going to have a couple detentions. They're going to get in trouble and have to go to detention every week. Yeah, we're going to get a lot more stuff. But I, I like that it wasn't that. I like it just being like contained into one day, which is kind of what they what John Hughes does in all three of the movies we're talking about. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> not, there's no it doesn't span more than forty eight hours for any of these <laughs> these movies. Um, yeah, it was. At first, I thought it was just a romanticized idea of um, what it was like taking standardized tests where nobody could talk, <laughs> can't bring a book, shut up, write your paper when you're finished, still can't talk. Yeah, that was hell. Sit down. That Don't sucked. go to the bathroom. Um, but yeah, then we got up and around and moving and hanging out, taking drugs. It got way cooler. Yeah. Um, and yeah, more emotionally appealing with that scene towards the end had a good time man this is good yeah man it's good 
dude, you've got your... What a fucking iconic opening, first of all. Just, like... I mean, we did it for our podcast. It's such an iconic opening. Mm-hmm. Just, like, blaring Don't You Forget About Me to the opening credits. And then something I loved is it was just such a cool way to add context to the characters of you see each of them interact with their parents before they go into detention. And so we as an audience know more about them than they know about each other. And it it just was a smart way and a smart and organic way to contextualize them um, to give us a little backstory without doing very much at all. Like they didn't show them at their house or why they got to detention. They just showed like one quick interaction with their parents and we get it. We get what their world is like, you know, (coughs) choking on my own spit. Yeah, hundred percent. I thought I thought that was really cool. And then we got John walking up. No one drove him there. He walked. Yeah, looking like a grown ass man in a fucking big old coat. Because <laughs> he was, was twenty six when the movie was filmed. <laughs> um, that's why. Yeah, some of them, uh, all of them look older than high school. I think that uh, other than Anthony Michael Hall, who looks yeah, was, more middle say. school, even um emilio estevez might be a senior in high school like you can make me believe that but like uh judd nelson ali sheedy and molly ringwald all looked definitely older um yeah judd nelson still had that like uh, a little bit of a teen or not judd nelson sorry uh emilio estevez had a little bit of a teenageness to him you know but yeah um, but hey it was the 80s no one could tell the difference exactly no one was expecting anybody to be watching this on their 4K televisions at home, so, <laughs> you know, get, get away with a lot more back then. Yeah. Greg, which which member of the Breakfast Club are you? I, I think we need to identify these things within ourselves before we go forward. 100% Anthony Michael Hall's character. Yeah. Guys, we should be following the rules. Yep. <laughs> but it would be hard for me to turn down a pixie stick and Cap'n Crunch sandwich yep so i don't know some some kind of mix of the two of them but definitely the rule follower i would have finished my paper yeah oh me too yeah i i I honestly i think i'd align similarly i was a mix of those two like i i overtly i was a weird kid but i was very scared of breaking the rules um and it made Mm -hmm. me really anxious when um when other people did because i was always like easy for you guys to be badasses i get my fucking ass in trouble if i break rules like i have consequences don't fucking call me a coward um but i i had a little more moxie in me than both of those characters too like i i think i had bender's fighting spirit but none of his like bravery and defiance and chaos yeah for sure chaos being the (laughs) the prime word here i love it oh dude i might have i would have got so anxious when drugs came out that i might have just gone and told the teacher yeah like i might have ruined the movie and just ended it (laughs) (laughs) yeah ended the movie or you could be like one of these kids where marijuana is just like a big shot of adrenaline to your system yeah what the fuck was that about (laughs) i know anything about marijuana it's just it's like a it's like just a monster energy drink that you smoke yeah my uh my, makes you wild and crazy my headcanon is that uh bender's shit was laced and i don't i doubt he was getting uh primo stuff you know i uh my 
there was some speed in that weed. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no doubt about it. God. Milo Estevez, like, fucking line of coke <laughs> when he took it. Like, Uma Thurman Whoa, reacted. Is anyone else hot? <laughs> I'm hot. <laughs> Reminded me of the the, uh, the EpiPen thing, uh, the, the the Narcan stuff when in Pulp yeah. Fiction. Oh, <laughs> man. Something. <laughs> uh. Shit, man. Um, oh, I uh, real quick. I, I actually had it in my notes that I would have been Anthony Michael's Hall character, Anthony Michael Hall's character, because his last name was also Johnson. Oh shit! And I was like, ah, they predicted me. Yeah, <laughs> five years before I was born. <laughs> I will say, uh, Bender making noise and singing songs while no one acknowledges him reminds me of literally every night when I'm trying to bother Vanessa. I'm just mm-hmm. walking. I hate being quiet. I hate it so much. And she needs a lot of quiet time. And I'm just always singing songs, making sounds, and trying to bother her. And she's just like on her phone or reading a book or something like that. <laughs> I really related to him in that moment. <laughs> Serves her right for trying to be in some moment of peace. <laughs> That's what you're there for. Yeah. Um,. This one immersed me, though. You know, I really wasn't... I, I took notes, but I wasn't taking really diligent ones because I was like, I love yeah. this movie. I really do love Breakfast Club, man. Yeah, I was I was in it for sure. Immersive is uh, the right word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, this has... I think what shocked me most this time, because I've seen it a bunch of times, and I actually ended up raising my Critiker score this time because mm. there was a lot of really good drama... And really good writing and really good performing. Like, this movie, in my mind, it was just, like, one of the better pointless 80s movies about teenagers. Um, mm-hmm. And this watch around, I was like, dude, there's some there's some meat on the bone. Like, quite a bit of meat on the bone, to be honest. Like, it, it, like and more than just, like, uh, the very on-the-nose, we're not just stereotypes, man um but the like hey see the human see the whole human see the human in their unique context and there Mm -hmm. was just a really really cool exploration and even documentation of how people connect with other people and how people relate to others and how people expand their knowledge when maybe they wouldn't have had sympathy for someone or maybe they wouldn't have had perspective uh but then they met someone and on a personal level they experienced something outside of their assumptive world and because of that their world changed a little bit i just thought it was really smart and really well done yeah it's exactly like you were saying kind of at the top of the the movie is just everyone interacts with a different character that changes themselves for the better yeah with their interactions so even well done even when um the the teacher is interacting with carl the janitor yep he interacts with someone outside of his cast and uh he's it wasn't so much like wise mystical poor person that is a really stupid trope but just like him being a very grounded down-to-earth guy with someone who just like lives up his own incredibly tight ass and just being like oh fuck off i know the road you took you thought it would be fun but it wasn't fun 
now you have to work a lot and no one appreciates you fuck off man the kids didn't change you did like so fucking yeah. good man while they're drinking beer in the office yeah everyone's relatable yeah right. um i have a note here can you tell me what part this was because i don't remember sure um this kid is committing voter fraud trump was right oh uh anthony michael hall has a fake id that says he's like in his 60s so he can vote oh, it's really funny it's really it funny <laughs> little did he know it was uh politically active white suburban kids that were committing all the voter fraud <laughs> he, he race baited the wrong thing but i heard it was immigrants <laughs> uh. no it was the little anthony michael halls of the world look at your local physics club if you want an explanation for how joe biden got elected anyways back on immigrants uh. <laughs> god yeah uh. you know what really got to me in this movie man what when the teacher says i make thirty one thousand dollars and i've got a home and i was like fucking 80s money man yeah you fucking quality of how's, life you piece of how's shit that feel god damn fucking <laughs> shit man like i remember making that much money and i make i make way more than that i'm not even close to getting a home yep <laughs> not even <sighs> fucking close Ugh pretty rad not really yeah i know this is the glossy uh look into the past that we're talking about mm -hmm. these are the blues of which we speak <laughs> uh. greg who who gave the best performance in this movie in your opinion um we're revving cars outside i think i want to say maybe anthony michael hall because it's such a different character because I, I watched this one and then i watched 16 candles it's like two completely different characters and i think he's giving two completely different performances yeah and in this one i don't know there's just something about his like shyness but also like his just he's kind of guarded he's like got an understanding of himself and like where he fits in the grand scheme of high school yeah and he's just kind of he's just got this really good guarded and reserved kind of performance but he's also like very open to any friendship that anyone's willing to offer him and i think he plays it really well yeah so i'll, I'll give it to him but i i i do say I'll, i do say, i do declare uh, <laughs> Molly Ringwald played a really good uh, kind of prissy popular girl. I mean, my only issue with that is that Molly Ringwald is so inherently endearing that, like, the scenes where she was supposed to be, like, a stuck-up bitch, I still thought she was cool. You know, like, she's just... Yeah, Molly I'll Ringwald, you, you just You just like her. She just, like, she's likable. She's cool. Um, no, I actually hadn't thought about that dimension of Anthony Michael Hall in this. Like, I just thought, oh yeah, geek typecast. But when you mention it, I'm like, oh, that's right. In six, two different kinds of geek. Yeah. Well, yeah. In Sixteen Candles, he's the self-proclaimed king of the dipshits. Like, to mm -hmm. to the rest of the world, he may be nothing, but he has this really inflated, overinflated sense of self-confidence that comes from being the coolest of the uncool. You know, and. In this, he's very shy and very reserved and uh, very insecure. Like, really, really would just fucking love it if a popular kid gave him the time of day. 
Um, it yeah. would make his whole fucking life. Um, I'm going to give best performance to Judd Nelson, though. Uh, it, it was okay. It was a character that didn't have to have a lot of depth to it, but I think that like his uh, his acting with the material he was given really turned some stuff that could have been like, uh, what, you think that I'm a hardened badass for no reason? I'll have you know I've got it pretty bad at home, and that's why I act the way I do. Yeah, it, it could have been way worse. Yeah. Um, to me, they were the most powerful moments in the movie. Um, the, no, Dad, what about you? No, Dad, what about you? And you can tell that, like, he originally was trying to intimidate Emilio Estevez, but he actually completely lost himself in the story and was reliving it as he was telling it. And then he mm-hmm. gets all triggered and runs away, and his facial acting in those moments, and just his ability to walk the line of, uh, to quote Kanye West, the second they love you, make them hate you. You know, like, even, mm-hmm. like, right after he has his heroic moment of saving everyone from getting in trouble and self-sacrificing himself, um, you expect him to, like, be accepted and, like, show that he really did care about them. And he pretty much immediately goes on being a shithead. You know, like, they, mm-hmm. they really balanced it pretty well of, like, this kid is absolutely intentionally making himself unlikable, but he does ultimately have a pretty good heart. And he, does he at the very least, doesn't want to take anyone down with him. You know, like, he wants to do whatever he wants and fuck with people, but he doesn't mm-hmm. actually want anybody else to get consequences he'll he'll fall on his sword because he's the one who instigated the whole shitstorm. and yeah i liked it um, a lot you mentioned his good face acting and i wanted to give credit to his good hair acting oh yeah oh boy what a he do could flick it he could slick it back god he's so cool man dude him and him and emilio their 80s hair in this movie man so good iconic some would say absolutely um Man, I uh, I really could have lived without the Ali Sheedy makeover. Um, hey, that's mighty. That's one of my last notes. Yeah, it uh, it seemed very out of place to me in a mm-hmm. uh, in a movie that's about knowing yourself and having empathy for other people, and especially because like no one else went through any sort of visible change, and they were like. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's an 80s teen movie. We got to do the ponytail glasses thing. Real quick. Still real quick. five minutes left yeah. in detention. <laughs> we got to get it in. We got to do this. It has to be in the yeah. movie. I just, it just didn't seem to really fit or serve any sort of actual purpose, especially because she was like, she was the one person in the movie who genuinely seemed like she really did not care. Like she did not mm-hmm. give a fuck about any of this shit. Like... Well, yeah, she had nothing better to going on. Yeah, she was just truly above it. Sorry, my dog's coming on the couch. Hi, Levin. Hi, baby girl. Welcome. Welcome to the show, yeah. baby girl. Levin, we can shake some... You shed, too, when we scratch you, kind of like Ali Sheedy. I'm going to decorate my art ah. with your hair. Uh. I, I hear what you're saying, but consider this. Girl, do makeup, now hot. Give kiss. Okay, now that's, that... That's all I have that to is say. A good, that is a good point. That's a really good point. Um... <sighs> yeah, that didn't need to be there at all. Mm, no. Um is is there a better cathartic dance scene ever? A cathartic dance montage? Uh it's one thing that I forgot to mention. Uh, another reason that I think Anthony Michael Hall's character is who I relate to most because that's exactly how I would dance if I danced. Yep. I hate dancing, but if I did do it, that's how I would look. Dude. 
that Pat Benatar song, man. We are not alone. Greg, you're going to get so much more of community now that you've seen this. I know. It's oh, it's great. I love it. The, the, Seeing this, uh, re, like, rewatched a couple of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Like, John Hughes, like, community and John Hughes movies are just like, man. I mean, the, the first episode of community, in, in addition to referencing the breakfast club like nobody's business uh Mm -hmm. it's dedicated to john hughes he like he passed away right around the time it came out and it's dedicated Mm -hmm. to his memory it's really cool it's like 2009 or something yeah um and then like there's they just do this dance montage when uh jeff and abed get drunk together so jeff can do a drunk dial um they just do this montage (laughs) with the the song like the yeah it's really great man (laughs) it's fantastic yeah it's like parodying it with like a sense of real love and endearment so yep that's that's great yeah it's genuine community rules yeah for the second second movie in this episode in a row we've uh, said that community is great so yeah i'll do it in the third too <laughs> all right i already know there's a ferris bueller <laughs> referencing community and i know it um but uh <clears throat> the only other thing i really had is i loved the the physical comedy from the teacher of I will not be made a fool of. And then he turns around and the toilet seat covers hanging out of his pants. <laughs> yeah. He's struggling, propping the door open. Uh, pretty solid. He, Cause he's got like an intimidating voice and face, especially for like a teacher. And then also just, you don't realize he's totally nailing these goofball comedy moments. Oh, absolutely. He's a very smart performer in this. Like really, really good. Gets a lot out of what he has absolutely um you ready to write into some gimmicks yeah man I've, that's all i've really got uh, yeah let's do gimmicks all right my last note is uh i'm starting to think these kids might not finish their essays or even have breakfast um and then i also had a note saying brian and johnny getting high together would be a really fun spinoff oh hell yeah yeah hell yeah solid solid stuff man uh Denny, what's your cure for the John Hughes blues that you got from the Breakfast Club? Weed. You got any? All right, let's go surfing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the weather outside. That is weather. Um, no, yeah, that's uh, the message of the movie was that uh, maybe if we all just smoked weed and talked about our parents, society wouldn't have to have these rigid rules. Um, that was that was my yeah. my cure for the blues, and I wanted to quote Paul Rudd in forgetting Sarah Marshall. Um, yeah, so. This movie, once they get high together, uh, it becomes really, really fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's the turning point in the movie yeah. for sure. Um, mine was all of them together in the halls, just like running around the school, just trying to avoid getting caught by the teacher. That is like peak high school shenanigans that just transcends oh, era. Yeah, oh, it's great. Like stay like i was in band in high school for a couple years and just like staying late for like a function or like a concert or something and then just like want to just like go down the hall and just fuck around in the classrooms like absolutely like there's some teachers here we can't get caught like that stuff it just oh liberation liberation Liberation. (laughs) so you're just like you're the sneak king when you get away with it yes fantastic yep and uh, of all my friends who are teachers now, they have constantly told me, 
you never got away with anything. Your teachers just didn't give a shit. <laughs> like, they've told me, like, no, they caught you every time. No. They just didn't want to fuck with it. <laughs> no, don't ruin the magic. <laughs> I, 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 know, I know that's absolutely true for in-class shenanigans. Yeah. After school, but, maybe yeah. so. Probably, like, I'm not even getting overtime for this. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. If you want to dick around and mr boyle's science chemistry lab whatever see if i care just don't break anything <laughs> I'll, I'll pretend i didn't know that's gonna be your uh, parents responsibility when we bill you for it i'm not sticking mm-hmm. my neck out <laughs> <laughs> guys come on uh yeah denny what's your favorite line oh, from breakfast club shit i don't know that i picked one you go uh i've got a runner up uh out of context give it to me bender <laughs> the Futurama fans in here yeah. um, but my favorite line of course has to go to let me grab my collar here hey smoke up Johnny oh, so good um, I'm torn uh, I am a big fan just because it caught me so off guard of do you slipper the hot beef injection <laughs> so what a gross way to describe sex <laughs> um um uh, I, I think I'll I'll also give a runner-up to Ali Sheedy's I'll do anything sexual. I don't need a million dollars to do it either. Um, I, I think my... <laughs> my number one is uh, No Dad, What About You? Uh, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll both go with Bender's two most iconic lines in the movie. Yeah, um, very good. Oh, Banner fucking year at the Bender fa- household. Yeah. But my, my favorite moment is also a Bender moment. It's when he totally chicken shits out of fighting Emilio Estevez. He's like, see, I knew he couldn't hang with me. Um, And Bender was like, well, I don't want to fight you because I'll kill you. And then there is this legitimate, oh, fuck, when he flips the switchblade. It's just like, Mm -hmm. oh, shit, Bender might kill this guy. Like, he's not going to take him in a fair fight, but he wasn't joking when he said he, if it comes down to a fight, he might kill him. (laughs) Holy shit, oh, fuck. That's my favorite moment, but there's not really a line to go with it. It's click. Yep. Uh, delivered by the uh, switchblade. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Switchy the switchblade in an uncredited performance. And introducing Switchy the switchblade. <laughs> Robbie the robot as switchblade. That was actually was, uh, uh, Robbie's penis in, in Forbidden Planet. They repurposed. He was scrapped for parts and <laughs> put in a whole bunch of different movies. Um. Yeah, he was actually the uh, the arm in T2, so. Uh, Denny, what's your Critiker score for The Breakfast Club? I uh, I bumped it up from a 40 to a 45. Oh, wow. Yeah, nice. out of 50. It's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's more than a, it's more than like an 80s coming of age movie. I actually think there's um, a very astute understanding of the human condition, especially the plight of a teenager in this movie. And I think... Mm-hmm. You know, again, always ranking by genre. I think as much as I enjoy the coming of age genre, most of them are just fucking around for 90 minutes. Like, very few of them even come close to the emotional depth and the exploration of what life is like as a teenager from one room. Like, we don't even, like, go home and see the stuff, you know? Like, that's it's yeah. really fucking we, impressive. Like, we go around the school, but we're basically all in the library 95% of the time. Yeah. Sometimes we're in the ceiling. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I gave this one a 30 out of 40, which feels low. Like, 
with our discussion on it. Um, I I grade how I feel like immediately when I watch it, uh-huh. and it it feels kind of low. I think it should be a little higher, and I would definitely watch it again. So it'll it'll probably go up in the future on a second watch. Cool. Um, I was just expecting. 80s stuff and i got exactly what i expected so i wasn't disappointed by any means um except for the molly ringwald upskirt shot didn't need that well for what it's worth that was display that was portrayed as something that was inappropriate yes that wasn't like you're supposed to be so happy that bender put his face in her crotch you know like it was supposed to be Hey, yeah. fuck off, man. You she's helping you out and you're over the line by a lot. Um I it could Mark and Zero. They could have added some more seriousness to that, but it wasn't like this is funny and good, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that funny what 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 can change over a year yeah. from sixteen candles to this. God, I can't believe uh, that. But yeah, thirty out of forty. Yeah. Thirty out of forty. That's just how I feel. Cool. Um with potential room for growth. Cool, cool, cool. We are not alone! (laughs) Ah! My headphones. (laughs) Sorry. All right. Well, I'm going to seamless edit us in here. Woo! I know you wanted a day off from my normal seamless edits, so I figured I'd give you one. Yeah. This is my day off, and we're here to talk about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Woo! It's a 1986 film from uh, acclaimed director John Hughes. You may have heard of him. Uh from this episode at least once denny what the heck is the plot of ferris bueller's day off ferris bueller is an enigmatic charismatic sociopath uh who uh fucking hates going to school (laughs) and uh he just wants to take the day off and he doesn't care how many people who love him he has to manipulate in order to do that. Um, and it's a lot more lighthearted than it sounds. Um, you watch the movie and you just don't give a shit how many bodies lay in his wake um, and how horrible he actually is. He's just... That Matthew Broderick is just so fucking charming and um, that comment wasn't meant to be too real uh, about how he killed two people drunk driving and we seem to have forgiven him as a culture. Sorry, everyone. Anyway, um, yeah, he wants to skip school, um, but he doesn't have a car. So he has to get his depressive friend Cameron to steal his dad's car. Then he has to fake a death to get his girlfriend out of school. And then he just goes around making Chicago his oyster uh, while Principal Rooney chases his ass around and his sister Jeannie also wants to bust him because she's a sane person. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, long story short, he gets away with it and learns nothing. Good on him. <laughs> <laughs> Good on him. Yeah, it's, it's a weird movie where everybody around the main character seems to be the ones learning lessons. Yep. Well, and not the main character. <laughs> so this is a callback to Marty McFly in our very first episode. It's a protagonist ah. without an arc. Yeah. And because of that, instead of and, the lie... And a cool car. Exactly. The lie that, uh, the, that the hero believes becomes the lie that the world believes. He's the only one who doesn't believe the lie. That you can't just fuck off and have fun. <laughs> um, Greg, what's your relationship with Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Um, I watched this movie... I don't even remember when. I know I've seen it before. I think it was around the same time I watched Sixteen Candles, maybe like 18 or 19 years old. 
Um, I remember a lot of scenes from it. I just don't really remember a lot about it. Okay. This is, you know, this is such a beloved classic. It's iconic. Every scene is referenced in some manner. Yep. Even the soundtrack bow, bow. is it yeah, exactly. It's just like is a uh, discussed, talked about, parodied. Uh, it's just like common knowledge. Every part of this movie. So I this is one of those times where all that is true, but I also have actually seen the movie. Um, yeah, got to watch it this time around. What a fun time! Yeah, Ferris is uh Ferris is cool. I I thought I was going to go into it because. With my first viewing, I remember being like, man, Ferris is a, kind of a shithead, and, like, I'm actually going to not like this character at all when I watch it this time. And then I was like, eh, I'm kind of more on board than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Well, they actually had to delete some scenes um, because Ferris seemed too evil. Like, there, there's a scene where uh, he steals some, some, some bonds from his parents, and that explains why he had the money to do all this shit. Um, okay. And they got rid of it because they were like, ah, let's just make this a fun little romp. That's kind of adds a little too much uh, dark context to what it would take to make this actually happen. <laughs> yeah. So, and that'll that'll play into my points later on. Yeah. Uh, but what's your relationship with it? Um, I think other than Home Alone, this was probably the first John Hughes movie I saw. I saw it in middle school and thought it was badass. And... Uh, I never stopped thinking it was badass. I will say, it's not really one I go to for comfort, like Sixteen Candles or mm -hmm. Breakfast Club. It's one I go to when I'm like, hey, you want to watch something fun as fuck? Are you in a good mood? Do you want to be in a better mood? Yeah, mm -hmm. let's celebrate. We're putting on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We're about to have a fucking blast. <laughs> it's definitely not a comforting film, but yeah, exactly that. It just elevates the fun of whatever mood you're in. Yeah. Um... Are you familiar with the Fight Club theory? Oh my god, hold on. Hold on, and I feel like we're going to spoil Fight Club when we talk about this, so if you haven't seen I Fight Club, like... skip forward about five minutes. I feel like I had a note in one of these movies regarding Fight Club, but maybe I'm thinking of something else. Uh, no, I'm not. Please. The, the Fight Club theory, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler for Fight Club. If you haven't seen Fight Club and you haven't had it spoiled... You've lived a very special life. Be untainted. Skip forward. Um, but watch the movie. Yeah, watch the movie. And don't let the fucking film nerds tell you in their reactionary takes that it sucks just because everyone likes it. Okay? Fuck them. Fight Club's cool. Um, so, um, the theory is that uh, Ferris Bueller is Cameron's Tyler Durden. That Ferris, Sloan, Ferris's family... None of them actually exist, uh, and Cameron is doing all those things. Ferris is who Cameron wishes he could be, with loving and doting parents and a really cool girlfriend, and has the confidence to just say fuck it and dance around in a parade. Um, and there's only one thing that pokes a hole in it for me. What's that? John Hughes wrote the script in six days. I don't think he gave it that much thought. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know when the book came out, but I think it was after Ferris Bueller. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I like that theory. I love stuff like that. It's me just too. like, it's easily dismissible, but like, but it could be. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not, but that's a fun thought. Well, it's it, a fun thing to think about. And Cameron definitely has Edward Norton face. Yeah. Not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. 
it, it would explain a lot of the like seemingly uh, departures from reality. You know, <laughs> like a kid fakes sick and later in the day they're painting a water tower, um, which they really did paint say Ferris on that water tower and leave it up for a long, long time. I think it only got Hell repainted yeah. recently. Um, I don't know. Oh, that rules. It makes it makes a lot of sense. Of like, it's just the fantasy of the life Cameron wishes he lived. And then they part ways when Cameron finally makes peace with the life he does live. <sighs> That's right. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. Man. So, yeah, I want I want to get into my whole thing with this movie. Do it. And a little bit of the other two. This is one of the ones where I think I was kind of coming at it this time around like, trying to think like how does this kid do all of this it's like the scene you were talking about that was deleted where he's stealing bonds like as soon as you start asking questions like how is he paying for all this how is it like this the time of this is impossible he can't set up a whole pulley system with a trophy in his bed yeah and then like uh, like there's not an, and go to a baseball game and go to a parade and do all this stuff like there's just literally not enough time in the day for him to have done all this stuff yeah but just ignore that dude it's fun well, <laughs> you could you could just turn you could just turn that part of your questioning brain off and just be like eh, maybe you just went there for like 10 minutes i like the idea of him like like you were saying that scene i'm not worried about how he pays for everything my assumption he's just sneaking into everything yeah he's just sneaking around like he finds a gate to get into the baseball game that's left open or like charisma rolls rolls high rolls 20 on charisma and yeah, gets into the exactly, yeah. baseball game with some security guard god um, he's playing D, &D with weighted die a <laughs> weighted <laughs> d20 <laughs> just keeps hitting those critical successes on his charisma uh is that even a thing you roll for who cares it is. um okay good yeah it's like it's mathematically impossible for him to do all this stuff and that's when you realize that you're not supposed to ask those kinds of questions and you can let go and have more fun yeah. with the movie well and i would even say like i'll chalk them up to fridge logic if anyone's not familiar with the terms fridge logic it's you watch the movie you had a good time maybe you went to see pirates of the caribbean you go home you open up the fridge you're trying to find something to eat and you go hey wait a minute Mm -hmm. shouldn't it have taken them like months to get from port to port <laughs> son of a bitch you know like i'm like <laughs> i i personally have a rule that if you got me out of the theater without asking a question like that i'll excuse it because it didn't matter mm -hmm. you know like if, if i got all the way out of the theater before i wondered where did he get all his money um, you know, like, I, I don't think anybody on their first watch of Ferris Bueller was like, there just wasn't enough hours in the day for that. You know, like, no one was, like, sitting in the theater. It's fun, so you don't care. Um, and if it weren't mm. such a classic, I don't think anyone would give a shit. It's just we're all sitting around re-watching it because it's really good. And so we start to ask questions about it. But I just very seriously doubt anyone was in a theater in 1986 asking about the logistics of ferris's day I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody just took it at face value like i did yeah ah uh, just just like you should yep I, I i do like that his 
his main reason for wanting to stay home is is it's just such a nice day outside yeah like ah, it's just so nice out yeah i'm gonna do all this elaborate bullshit to get out of going to school (laughs) i love it it's great it's all the motivation i need yeah yeah matches matches the tone of what we just talked about really yeah um god it's just so great it's just so whimsical like you just have this like mystical character in a normal world of ferris bueller it just gets away with everything just like even something i thought of on this watch was like he does like three or four wardrobe changes to talk to the character or talk to the camera like when he's like explaining (laughs) what he's gonna do during the day he like changes his clothes to like fuck around in his room with an instrument. <laughs> yeah, like he just commits to every bit he does. Um, he goes outside, like gets fully in a swimsuit to go outside and drink some tea and talk to the camera like, while he ta- while he tans. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Very awesome. Um, um, what did you think of the days off X hackina, where he hacks into the cool the school's computer system to give himself less credited absences <laughs> i thought it was a fun and, little device do you like that i called it a days off x hack i like that even more Thank you. <laughs> we haven't had a, a days x hackina in a long time and never a days off x hackina ever That's in the right. history of this podcast um what a trivial thing to hack for <laughs> dude you know what, man? I really hate, and I'm sure everyone does, how uh, Jeffrey Jones apparently had a child porn habit. Uh, and that's... He's Ed Rooney, Principal Rooney in this movie. Yeah, um, really? He is one of my favorite performers from the 80s and 90s. And uh party's been over for a while. Uh I hate that anyone has a child porn habit, but it is quite uncomfortable to separate the art from the artist, I suppose. But he is so fucking good as Ed Rooney in this movie. Um, Dude, I I did not know that. Yep. It's also why we lost uh, Alien Encounter, one of the best rides in Disney World, because he was in the intro video for it. So they just scrapped the whole fucking thing. I was kind of wondering what happened to him because he was like the guy. Yep. He was like the antagonist to your like. He's he basically played the same character. Yep. He's like the '80s and '90s kind of bad guy, yep. but we're not taking it too seriously. That's... And then he just kind of disappeared. I was like, what happened to that guy? It's... News to me. Yep. That's exactly who he is in my uh, favorite movie, Beetlejuice, in his role as Charles Dietz. Um, yeah. I think about him a lot because of that. <laughs> and uh, it's Oof. it's quite the quite the black eye on his career. Uh I, I will say I, I certainly hope that he has gotten help and is no longer doing that stuff. But man, his work. Like let's just separate the human from the performance for a minute. God, Ed Rooney is an all time great villain. So fucking good, man um what what were your thoughts I'm, on principal rooney is he a principal i thought he was like a dean no he's a pr- principal he's, like, he's the principal yeah i swear his his like desk 
and I, I might be wrong here. I'm probably wrong, but I, I thought he had like a name badge that said Dean of Students or like that's how he introduced himself on the phone or something had it in my head that he was calling himself a Dean in like this suburban high school. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> um, but yeah, I like him. I like how tenacious he is in his pursuit of Ferris. And he's just like, I know this kid's a scumbag. Yeah. But I love that Ferris is always one step ahead of him until he isn't. Yep. Um, and then our beloved Jennifer Grey turns babyface after making out with Charlie Sheen. That's all it took. God, what an arc. God. <laughs> she She's another one who disappeared. Um, she was great in this and Dirty Dancing, man. I love I love Jennifer Grey. Charlie Sheen did not disappear, though. <laughs> um, still kicking! Are, are we still saying uh, Tiger's Blood is a joke? Uh, I don't know. That's like a snow cone flavor. Yeah, it is. Um, but Rooney's, uh, I wanted to give some love to his assistant. The very sweet, yes. sounds like she's from Minnesota, Grace. They think he's a righteous an, dude. He's, <laughs> she is an absolute treat. What a little asshole. Yes. I, I love how she talks. I love how she interacts with Ed. I like how she interacts with students. She's funny. She's like kind of a uh, sidekick. Yeah. To his villain she's like a mr smee to captain hook running around you know <laughs> like she <laughs> yeah i like that <laughs> exactly uh but yeah she's delightful um but yeah complimented his character very well absolutely uh the 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 yin to his yang because she's just like so sweet and so likable and isn't taking any of this very seriously while her boss is like no I've decided my life will be defined by whether or not I catch Ferris Bueller today. Uh, just like the definition of sunk cost fallacy. And she's just like, ah, <laughs> this is pretty much just like a regular day at the office for me. You seem to be, you got a real wild hair for this Bueller kid, but I'm just going to keep doing my job. Like it's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> awesome. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I thought this was an incredibly odd retelling of Dean Ahab and Moby Dick. <laughs> My white whale! <laughs> My white whale! <laughs> oh, oh, boy. I didn't realize I was the Dean's white whale. <laughs> okay, Maddie. You got a decent Broderick right there. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, it's called an Old Spanish. <laughs> Is that not a thing? I'm always getting teased. <laughs> He's great in Thirty Rock, by the way. Yeah, yep. Um, <laughs> but not God's, not Godzilla. Uh, uh, I hate that. Where movie. are we going? Um, you know, I, we we've talked about this several times before, but this is a movie where I definitely view the characters as their names, the characters' names, and not the actors' names. Like, hundred percent. That's not Matthew Broderick. That's uh, that's Ferris Bueller. That's mm -hmm. uh, that's Sloane Cameron principal rooney you know like that's uh they're they're all just very very iconic characters that fully transcend me recognizing the faces of the people playing them mm -hmm. absolutely and really like the biggest actor that we have you know i still see charlie sheen as charlie sheen well, so that's I don't think a we little get his name it feels more like a cameo than anything else yeah. but Matthew Broderick's the most famous actor, arguably, out of that film, yeah. so um, I think that the fact that everyone just idolizes him as Ferris Bueller within the universe of the movie yeah. kind of helps solidify that, and then, but yeah, I, I think 
I, I definitely see him as Ferris, even without that sort of effort. Yeah. My favorite character's Cameron, though. <laughs> like, he's he's the best character in the movie. I like Cameron a lot. Why why is he the best movie? Yeah, best movie in the character. Um, I I think much like the Fight Club theory, uh spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Um I think Ferris is who I wanna be, but Cameron is who I am. Mm-hmm. I remember like I remember watching this movie in middle school and the the part where Sloane at the very end says to Ferris, like, you knew exactly what you were gonna do when you woke up today. Um, and he's Mm -hmm. like, nah, I'm just winging it. I remember being like, man, I want to be that guy. I just want to be so carefree and above it and impressive and successful at all the bullshit I try. Uh, and I just, I am Cameron. I always have been. Um, especially when I get like a slight cold or a psychosomatic illness, (laughs) like, I, that's just who I really am, and I, I love his portrayal in this movie as uh, the one grounded in reality person in the whole fucking thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, man. Um, God, this is another one where it's like, we could just go through and list things we like. Uh, do you have any critiques? Um, there was an extra in the art museum when those kids were linking hands. One of those kids is staring straight at the fucking camera. (laughs) Ruined it. I hope he's, uh, because, you know, that he was a kid when the movie was filmed. I hope he's an adult now and looks at it. It's like, see, that's me. I'm staring at the camera like a fucking idiot. Like, we get it, Grandpa. You suck. Yeah. Um, (laughs) hate that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't hate that guy. I'm, I'm joking here. Yeah. Um, th- this is one thing where it's like, I hate big nonsense. Like, we've talked about my dislike of musicals, but this movie has a big, giant, dumb music number. And I love it because it's a one-off thing. <laughs> it fits the character. And it's just cool. It's just like him bullshit. Another way for him to bullshit around and have fun. Yeah. So... It made me like something I really don't like. Yeah. That Good is times. that is just such a such an all timer of a scene. Donka Shane followed by Twist and Shout, followed by mm-hmm. like the random cast of dancers that does like a choreographed dance number down the steps. <laughs> just like <laughs> doesn't fit with anything else in the movie and it just works. It doesn't feel like yeah, it doesn't feel like they're part of the scene, but yeah. Well, it feels like it just, just adds it adds to the fun. It just feels like John Hughes was like, "And real quick, we're gonna do a music video." Okay, back to the uh, movie, um, and it just works. <laughs> it just works in every way. It's fantastic. Um, man, I don't. I actually don't think I have a single negative thing to say about this movie because it's all fr- oh, it's man. all fridge logic. You know, like I could you could pick it apart, but like. Did you see it? Do you really want to do that? Do you think that's what you're yeah. supposed to do? Or are you just supposed to have a good time? You know, like... Is that the kind of person you really want to be right <laughs> yeah, now? So that's how you've decided to live your life. This is where are you, you sure want to be... That? you sure about that? That's why? God, yes. You there we it. go. This is where you want to be when Jesus comes back. Picking apart Ferris Bueller's day off. And going well, to hell. Actually. Yeah, you want to you want to actually Ferris Bueller when Jesus Christ returns from the heavens and go to hell, because that's not how you the hate? Lord intended you to live your life. 
That's right. You hate Jesus. Yeah. Um, I like the flip-up sunglasses. <laughs> um, I, I had to transition off that comment somehow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I had a pair. I miss them. Bring them back. I used to have a pair. Yeah? I bought them to go on a cruise. Well, I bet you just were the coolest guy on the cruise. Well, obviously. Cruising for... Po- All right, let's... Uh... <laughs> That's not what happened. That's not what happened. <laughs> Quite the opposite, actually. <laughs> oh man. Um... Yeah, there was a there was a part kind of bringing it back to the art museum where Cameron is getting lost in that painting. Oh man, uh, that painting is called "Sunday Afternoon on the Island of La Grande Jatte," and. Basically, Cameron and the scene of him staring at that painting and getting lost at it is what happens when I watch Mandy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, same. It was just a little same. <laughs> well, that is, it's such a great scene because, like, you have that, like, again, the substantial undercurrent in a movie of fun bullshit is Cameron's arc. Um, you see him really just, like, longing he's looking at a painting of like a doting mother taking her kid to the park um and then you just juxtapose that with sloan and ferris making out in the dark and they just cut back and forth between like (laughs) the lives that those two are living separately and what they're dealing with it's actually one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie when they go to the art museum despite not being one of the most memorable i think it's one of the most uh one of the most well done ones and one that's kind of the glue, you know, like it's, it's the mm-hmm. one that holds the movie together and one that like, dude, my stomach hits my asshole when that car goes out the back window every time. Uh, yeah. And it's moments like that, that earned it, you know, that, that made that mean something mm-hmm. so fucking just what an oh shit moment that it's still i don't know how many times i've seen this movie i guarantee it's upwards of 10 and i still am just like ah no no not the car through the you're in trouble cameron oh i just 11's getting up stay down daddy's not worried daddy's it's not okay worried, girl daddy's not worried calm the dog down da- daddy daddy's just doing a bit for his podcast you sold it too well yeah. is the thing oh, 11 you're so attentive we shall attend to baby. Um, yeah, man. I feel like I think I had a couple more things here. I'm petting a dog. Yeah, this, you are petting a dog. Um, <laughs> this, this is another one of the movies. Though I think, like, small critique. Um, it's hard to see any of these actors as high schoolers. Mm-hmm. They all feel like adults, especially because I only know the actors from later works where they're adults. So none of them really make believable high schoolers, so I don't really fully immerse myself in kind of the getting out of high school kind of vibe, like skipping a day of school because I just feel like these people are just full-fledged adults yeah. and that's just kind of where i land on it but that didn't like really ruin too much for me i mean it's to me it's like it's honestly not until recently that they started using actors that either are or believably look like high schoolers in movies about high school so 
it's it's just something that doesn't really mess with me too much and you're you're right it like still never happens but your, your point is correct it just doesn't affect me you know like they, they don't yeah, look like I, high schoolers i think my problem is just like i don't think of matthew broderick as ever being a kid mm -hmm. and that's it's really just him yep like i only see him as an adult so maybe that's maybe that's where i'm disconnecting a little bit yeah well are you familiar with the beat in the hero's journey called the magic flight? Is that when the uh, valet guys jump the car over the hill? No, but that is a magic flight. And did you notice that the, the main valet is one of the goons in the Super Mario Bros. movie? No, I didn't. I believe he's Spike is his name. Um, oh those are God. the only two things I've ever seen him in, but he's, he's a very, <laughs> very principal character in the Super Mario Bros. movie. Cyberpunk classic. Um, and we'll get to that one day. No, the magic flight is when, uh, you've accomplished your goal and you're home free, but there's one last challenge, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, and it, it puts the whole fucking thing in jeopardy, um, after you think you've done it. I think this is one of the best magic flights I've ever seen of like Cameron comes to peace with what he's going to have to tell his father and accept the consequences of Ferris's actions uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Sloan and Ferris like kiss each other goodbye. They have a nice moment. Um, and then Ferris realizes, Oh fuck, I've got to get home before my parents do then mm -hmm. they just dial up the heat with uh he runs into his mom and genie on the way home then he finally makes it and then you just get rooney's foot where the key was supposed to be um oh my god it's so fucking good man so fucking good the tension dude. the soundtrack so good dude it's a great scene Great um, little bit of drama just to kind of close things yep. out. Added some stakes. Um, especially when Rooney's like, you're going to go back to high school next year. I'm failing you. And then uh, Sister Jeannie shows up uh, and saves the day with the baby face turn. After, by the way, she did a cool Mortal Kombat combo on Rooney earlier. Um, oh yeah and uh that was just such a cool moment where she developed some empathy and stopped competing and again it's like she was right ferris was a little mm -hmm. shit and she was playing by the rules but what felt right what felt right helping ferris with his shenanigans that's right sometimes giving a high kick to a, your principal with your nike blazers yep. And then saving the day for your little bro. Dude, and then we've got Rooney with the ultimate walk of shame on the bus. Like, just like, oh, so fucking good. And then uh, an, an early post credit scene. I, I haven't found one earlier than Airplane, but this is before they were really a big thing. And um, mm. it's something my dad said to me about the movie. He showed it to me when I was in middle school. And something he said was, I like it because it's funny all the way up to the end. Like, up until the final moment of this movie and even during the credits, it's a funny movie the whole way through. Yeah. So, yeah. Star 2, absolute last frame. They're trying to make you laugh. Yeah. And it inspired a ska band called Save Ferris, and they rock. Save Ferris rules. Ah. Yeah. Gotta check it out. Yeah, they're good. Do you like ska? 
I mean, as much as anybody. Well, eh, it's fun. Good. That's as close to not hating ska as most people come. I happen to actively love ska. Um, I like that new Jeff Rosenstock album. I haven't heard it. Ska Dream? It's a good one. Sweet. It's a ska cover of his own punk band, or uh, punk album. I'm going to have to check that shit out. Yeah. <laughs> Do a... Uh, think the out the original album is called no dream and then he did an all ska cover of it he announced it on april fool's day and then it came out that he on 420 he was going to release a ska cover of his most recent album and everyone's like ha huh, okay and then he did <laughs> yep <laughs> that's so awesome he called it ska dream that's fantastic <laughs> um greg you want to hit gimmicks sure do you what's your cure for the john hughes blues um, mine was just, like, a little moment. Just, like, a little thing that made me laugh. Like, I want to, you know, I want to say it's the whole thing of just, like, you could just turn off the logical parts of your brain and just, like, have a good time. But there's just, like, a little moment where I think it's the principal, his car, he's, like, pulling up to Ferris's house, mm -hmm. and he's the most serious character. And then, like, 30 minutes later... It just cuts to the same shot of when he pulled his car up to Ferris's house, and he's parked in front of a fire hydrant. So there's someone giving him a parking <laughs> yeah, ticket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like a quick three-second scene that's just like it's a punchline to a joke from 30 minutes ago that you weren't, you didn't realize they were setting yeah. up. So and then it gets towed later, and that yeah <laughs> adds to it's, Ed Rooney's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. <laughs> I feel like that summarizes exactly what I'm trying to say. There's like a it's no good, very bad. There's there's a there's another movie out there where we tell this story from uh, Ed Rooney's perspective, where he was just like trying to run a school, and this little fucking sociopath kid terrorized him and abused him, and his sister joined in on it and just beat the fuck out of him. <laughs> <laughs> Accused him of rape. <laughs> Um, um, I actually, real quick, I think I have a better one. Oh, okay. Um, I, I was wondering if it would come up, um, but I think this is actually a better one for this gimmick. It's Cameron wearing a Gordy Howe jersey. Oh, I don't know who that De is. He's wearing a Detroit Red Wings jersey, ah. which it's, it's just like a little thing that you know it's just like a little detail about his character that they don't really bring up mm -hmm. gordy howe is like he played for like from 1945 to like 71 in detroit he's like one of the most his nickname his nickname is mr hockey he's like the og he was in detroit for like 26 years he played in the nhl for like 30 plus years like he was just there forever um and it's kind of like a subtle jab because you assume that his dad cameron's dad is probably he probably grew up as a chicago blackhawks fan because uh... they're in chicago and he prob his dad probably grew up watching gordy howe just decimate his favorite team as a kid so he's got his jersey and he's wearing it going out for the day. That's quite the fucking deep cut, and that's awesome. Yeah, it, it's like, it's never explicitly said, like, why he's wearing it. You could just kind of safely assume that it's his dad probably isn't 
uh, or Detroit Red Wings fan and probably a huge Chicago Blackhawks fan. And then he's so he's going to be a fan of the team and the guy that probably ruined his dad's childhood <laughs> for his hockey enjoyment. So that cool little detail that I'm kind of um, what's the word? Assuming, yeah, not assuming, uh, but, you know, uh, inferring. inferring. Hey, yeah. you know what? I'm going to make it headcanon. That's fucking awesome if that's true. Like, I mean, like, what you told me is true, so it's it's a very viable headcanon. Oh, yeah, he... <laughs> it's all right, but, yeah, I don't know if that was the intention behind it, but if it was, good job. Hey, it doesn't need to be, because that's what we do with movies. We make our own meaning out of them, and that's awesome. Um, John Hughes wrote this again in six days. I don't think he meant for there to be much substance to it. Uh, which, by the way, fucking impressive. I've never finished a feature. It takes me like months to write a short that I like. You know, like that's yeah. amazing. Um, my uh, my cure for the blues, uh, man. It's it's Ferris singing "Twist and Shout" and that whole scene. I just, I I can't imagine a tragedy so horrible that that wouldn't at least make me halfway smile if I watched that scene. Um, yeah. I, I just, it would always lift me up just a little. It's a, from Arrested Development, taste the happy moment, you know? Like, it's just so, like, <laughs> contagiously joyful. I love it so much. Um, so that's what I'm gonna go with. Good pick. Yeah, what's your favorite line? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's in the high school. When everyone learns that Ferris is sick, um some girl tells genie this guy from my biology class says that if ferris dies he's giving his eyes to stevie wonder <laughs> <laughs> just the way that people just like idolize him for seemingly no reason but it's always funny when they do and they it. it's, also it's think great. it works that way <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh he just he just needs eyes yes yeah. Um, you know, I was actually kind of surprised as I was looking for a favorite line while watching it. There are surprisingly few just real powerhouse quotable lines from this movie. Um, mm -hmm. it, I think it speaks to the writing that really what sticks with you is like situations that they wrote. It's not like, uh, Will Ferrell saying a bunch of off the wall things that made the movie funny. It's like they wrote a comedic funny movie with funny events in the movie, which I thought was great. Um, I'm going to go with one that I actually try to remember and that I try to think of and that I really relate to. Uh, it's so on the nose, a theme of the movie that they uh, book in the movie with Ferris saying it. It's life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Mm -hmm. You got to chill out. Like smell it. the roses, dude. Learn from Paris, everybody. As I'm 31, uh, I'm like, where did the fucking time go? And I heard it only gets more of a mind fuck from here. I, oh <laughs> like, boy. so we'll see. Um, yeah, what's your critic score, Greg? Speaking of 31, uh, <laughs> I gave this. <laughs> I actually gave this one a 31 out of 40. This feels like Breakfast Club, though, where the more I talk about it, I'm like, I enjoyed it more than the score yep. kind of reflects. Yep. But it's uh it's the top rated movie of the episode for me. Um which I think aligns with how I felt about all of these. Mm -hmm. It's a good movie. I liked it better than the first time I saw it. 
and 31 out of 40 is no insult. Yep. I'm going with uh, same as my Breakfast Club rating, a 45 out of 50. Uh, you know, I again, I rate by genre, you don't. Um, coming of age movies, this is about as good as it gets. It does seem slightly out of place because it's not uh, anywhere near as artful as most movies I would rate that high. But I'm a very big believer that there is no high and low art. Um, I think this movie accomplished every single goal that it had and then some in style. I think it's an all-time classic. Uh, there's just enough depth to give it a good rating like that. Uh, but man, yeah, I, I just I think it belongs in the upper echelons. And there's there's nothing inferior about having fun watching a movie than there is to crying when you watch a movie. Um, mm. I just don't think that a movie putting you in a really good mood is somehow a lesser experience than Oscar bait. Like, I think this does it better than almost any movie ever that tries to just make you have a good time. I'm giving a 45. Solid. Yes, sir. Good score. Good score. Good reasons. Greg, what is the best movie for when you've got the John Hughes blues? Well, I'm going to use your score summary for Ferris Bueller's Day Off to pick Ferris Bueller's Day nice. Off. A uh, cure for any kind of blues is to just lift your spirits. Hell yeah. You can kind of, it's the only movie where you can really ditch the logic, kind of get that glossy 80s, uh, get your glossy 80s glasses on and just have a good time. Yeah. I'm uh I'm gonna deviate. You went with my pick, right? My pick was Ferris Bueller. I don't even remember. I think it was. Pretty sure, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with Breakfast Club, uh, simply because oh. I actually constantly forget that John Hughes made Ferris Bueller, uh, because I just think Breakfast Club <laughs> is a little more signature John Hughes style. Um, okay. That, but like I, I rated them the same. And I would agree with you that Ferris Bueller just lifts me right the fuck up. But when I've got the John Hughes blues, I want to, I want to still have the blues a little bit, you know, like I, mm -hmm. I want, I want something to accompany my sadness while it's not, while it hasn't left me, you know, like I, I want to come up for air, but I'm not gonna be happy by the end of it. And that's why I turned to John Hughes. I want, I want something that gives me that sense of longing gives me something concrete to attach it to. And that's why I'm going with Breakfast Club. But man, I can't knock the Ferris Bueller pick. I, I think as movies, they're just as good as each other. Um, very different. I just think, I think Breakfast Club is a little more John Hughesy. Yeah, I feel that. Solid reasoning. Good pick. We're smart. Yeah, we are. We're so, we're so cool and smart. Um, <laughs> Teddy. Uh... What are we doing next week, man? Greg, we are doing movies for when you hate Christmas. It's that time of year, people. Christmas is two weeks away. It's Christmas time and it's shitty. <laughs> Says you. Uh, I'm coming movies around. for when you when you hate Christmas. I know. I, love I don't it. hate it anymore. Uh, I'm I, I'm neutral to Christmas now. Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll 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 discuss the holidays we're getting into the holiday spirit um this we'll have movies for when you hate christmas and then the following week we'll have movies for when you love christmas 
so we can spend 10 minutes talking about a couple other movies and then two hours talking about Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol. Uh, can't wait. Looking forward to that. Um, yeah, Denny, what are we going to watch for when you hate Christmas? What's your What's your pick for the movie? Well, I'm going with one recommended for two years in a row by a potential friend of the show, Megan Taylor. If she listens to the Silver Linings Playbook episode and contacts me, she will be granted the title friend of the show. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Ginger Dead Man starring Gary Busey. Yeah, she's going to love my takes on uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, Ginger Dead Man, that's fantastic. Um, I had a litany of Hallmark movies I wanted to pick, but I went for a Netflix original movie, The Princess Switch. I wish it was about royalty playing Mario Party on a Nintendo Switch, but it is actually just uh, Prince and the Popper retelling with Vanessa Hudgens playing a princess and some dumb fucking baker. I haven't seen it, and I know I'm going to hate it, and Denny's got his <sighs> face in his hand. Greg? How are we How are we going to pick the third movie, then? First of all, I'm mentioning you by name in my suicide note for this. That Nothing makes me happier than when you say that. <laughs> um... Oh, shit. Which sounds terrible. I forgot the community Ferris Bueller reference. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> like, oh, shit, I forgot to kill myself. No. Uh-huh. Uh, what? <laughs> they say it in uh, in Pillows and Blankets. Um, when uh, Jeff uh, gives speeches to both sides of the war, they're like, some would call it a Ferris Buellerian attempt to delay schoolwork. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, anyway. That rules. Um, well, I've got two thoughts, Greg. Mm-hmm. I think we could take suggestions from the audience because I think there's a lot you could do with this premise. Or yeah. we could just give it to the ultimate irreverent Christmas movie. The number one movie for when you hate Christmas, in my opinion. Surviving Christmas with Ben Affleck and James Gandolfini? No, Greg. Gremlins. I think we might have. Sorry, audience. We <laughs> might have to give it to Gremlins. <laughs> well, well, hey, you know what? I'm going to open it up. If they give us something better than Gremlins, I'll take it. Challenge. I'll take it. Yeah. It's Gremlins unless someone comes up with something better. Challenges for win. All right, I'll add a question mark to the end of Gremlins. Gremlins, unless... Your turn, audience. Let us know, please. I think it's Gremlins, but we'll see. We'll see. If anyone says Die Hard, they're banned. <laughs> uh, it's the same joke for like five years. Do we have... Did you know it's a Christmas movie? Yeah, sure did. You know what? Don't care. Goodbye. You know what, Greg? Hmm. It's Gen X's greatest sin is that they won't shut up about Die Hard being a Christmas movie. Let's let it pass. That's the, that's the greatest sin. You're right. Vahuvorich, vahuvorich, welcome Gen X. Greg's not glad. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Uh, Denny, what do you say we skip school, smoke a bit of the reefer, ditch class, harass our little sister, and drive off into the sunset with a little bit of a catchphrase. Mm. For Greg, 
the typecast nerd in a John Hughes movie, Johnson. I'm Denny, oh the other typecast nerd in a John Hughes movie, Taylor. And this has been Movies for When? We already told you when. We are not alone. Pot Bonatar? Pot Bong Bongatar. Pot Bongatar. <laughs> <laughs>